We are uh, delighted that this service of worship and this evening's service uh, also are a part of our 64th annual missions conference at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And in addition to those missionaries who are often with us, we have Michael and Kat Carter, who minister in Japan. Kat, of course, is a member of our congregation, and we constantly pray for them and their children and their ministry in Japan, and we'll have privilege of seeing them a good deal while they are on their home ministry assignment. David Jones, uh, unhappily Marsha, could not be with us, but long-term relationship with David and Marsha as they minister in difficult places to bring the gospel primarily to Muslims. Tim and Annie Carper, Reformed University Fellowship, ministering on the campus of the University of Florida. Some of you met them for the first time this morning during the educational hour. Our preacher for our conference is Dr. Lloyd Kim. I had the privilege of meeting him uh, recently at a presbytery meeting. Um, I was very taken with uh, what Dr. Kim had to say uh, with his uh, emphases and vision and uh, was taken with him personally. Um, I am so glad he can be here. He is coordinator-elect of Mission to the World, our missions organization. We regret that his family is not with us, but we are delighted that Dr. Kim and Ida and their children have now moved to Atlanta. This has been a difficult transition for them, and I know they would continue, would appreciate your continuing to pray for them during that transition. Uh, Dr. Kim has been well introduced over these past few weeks, especially uh, by this gentleman over here, and so I will not embarrass him with a repetition of those details. But Dr. Kim has come to MTW from leadership of a church planting team in Cambodia, where also one of my former students from Westminster Seminary and his family, good friends of ours, served with him. His real claim to fame, however, is that he was a classmate of Pastor McDonald at Westminster <laughs> Seminary in California. We honor the man, but we give the glory to God. Dr. Kim, please come and open God's word to us. Thank you so much. Well, I'd like to say a heartfelt thank you to Covenant uh, Presbyterian Church for the many years of faithful partnership with Mission to the World. Uh, I never dreamed that I would be in a position to speak on behalf of our mission agency, but this church in not only the prayers and support, but sending those from even this congregation to the mission field is a great encouragement to us all. And so thank you so much for your prayers and your support and giving your sons and daughters and granddaughters and for some of you parents uh, to God's mission field. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 28, and we will be reading actually from verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is a very word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's turn to the Lord very quickly with a short prayer. Father, we pray for your spirit to lead this time of reflection upon your word. Help me, I pray, to speak your words faithfully and true. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you know that there is a king in Cambodia? The nation of Cambodia has a king. It's called the Kingdom of Wonder. But the people in that country don't really respect their king. His father was actually much more respected. His father led the people to independence from France. But the current king was, well, he was a ballet dancer in Italy before he became king. And what is interesting is uh, the fact that right next door in Thailand, they also have a king. But the people in that land respect their king like no other. In fact, when there's civil unrest, when there are demonstrations, it only takes a king but to stand and to address his people. And he would tell them, stop behaving like that and behave like Thais ought to behave. And the people would drop their signs, their, stop their demonstrations, and obediently walk home, and that would be the end of it. Do you realize, beloved, that we also have a king? And his name is Jesus. And what do you think people say about us who belong to his kingdom? Do they say that these people respect their king? Or do they say his people will not listen to his commands? Our message today is to help us to hear again the final words of our Lord Jesus Christ before he ascended to heaven. This message is to renew our passion for missions. It is to ground our confidence in missions upon Christ and his authority. And it is to give us all, every one of us, a renewed sense of our purpose and our calling as citizens of his kingdom in this short time of life that we have here on the earth. And so as we examine this text, the first thing I believe the Lord is telling us today is that we really don't deserve to be a part of this kingdom building, this mission work that he has called us to. Can you imagine what must be what must have been going on in the minds of the disciples when they heard the words of Mary Magdalene, that Jesus was alive, and that he wants to meet them in Galilee. You see, they were in Jerusalem at the time, and Galilee is probably about 60 to 75 miles away from Jerusalem, so it it probably took them three or four days to walk, to travel, to from, Galilee, from Jerusalem to Galilee, and what must have been going on in their minds? 
as they were traveling to meet their Lord. Perhaps their minds flash back to the last time that they were all together in the Garden of Gethsemane. Perhaps they heard the words of their Lord echoing in their ears that fateful night. So you can't even keep watch with me for one hour. Rise, let's go, my betrayer is at hand. And as the angry mob came with swords and clubs to seize Jesus, what happened? All of his disciples abandoned him. All of them fled. Certainly Peter must have remembered how Jesus turned and looked at him in the courtyard of the high priest when the rooster crowed. You see, I can imagine these disciples walking to this place where they would meet Jesus again, filled with so many conflicting emotions, perhaps wonder and awe that maybe Jesus really is alive. But also fear and shame and guilt that they might have to face the one that they had abandoned. When I was about 10 years old, my brother and I and a friend were playing at a nearby park about two blocks from our house. And um, while we were there, there were some neighborhood bullies that were, uh, they were trying to throw water balloons at us and they were teasing teasing us, but they were quite far away. And so as boys often do, rascally that we are, we, we, you know, we yelled back at them and probably said some things that got them upset, but we didn't expect what would happen next. He started chasing after us. And so the three of us, all three boys, we had our bikes right there, and so we hopped on our bikes and we pedaled just as fast as we could straight home about two blocks away, and we were screaming and we were yelling. It was was this, uh, this fear that these guys might actually come. And, of course, I was the first back to the house, Uh, Because I was the most scared and and my friend next to me came and we, we heard this yelling and screaming and I turned back. And there was my brother about a block away. The chain had fallen off his bike. And so sure enough, those bullies caught up to him and they took a couple cheap shots at my brother was only a year older than me at the time. And and they took off. And so my brother picked up his bike, the chain still off, and tears rolling down his eyes, humiliated, uh, hurt. He he walked that bike right up to our front lawn where we were just standing dumbfounded, observing this whole thing. He threw down his bike. He came up to me, and he slugged me in the stomach, and he said, Where were you? (laughs) Didn't you hear me screaming? And all I heard was screaming. I honestly didn't know that he was, he was screaming at me. And I felt so bad after that. We asked my dad to teach us Taekwondo uh, soon after. <laughs> uh, but that only lasted a couple weeks. So, <laughs> You see, we should expect Jesus to come to his disciples and, and to slug them or at least rebuke them. For their cowardice, 
for abandoning them when he needed them most. But you see, when he meets them after the resurrection, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't reject them. In fact, when he meets Mary Magdalene, what does he say? Go and tell my brothers. He still calls them brothers, even Peter. And when he speaks to them on the mountain, he doesn't even mention their past sins or past abandonment. Not even the fact that right then and there, some of them doubted him. And so you see, this is a picture of God's great mercy. What did they deserve? They deserved to be abandoned. They deserved to be denied before the Father. They deserved to be excluded from the kingdom. But instead of rebuke, Jesus enlists them into the kingdom service that he has begun. And so you see, this is a picture of God's amazing grace. And we need to ask ourselves, who are these disciples? We are these disciples. We're just like them. We're hesitant. We're doubtful. And still full of shame and guilt. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone that I have offended that I actually respect overlooks my sins and shows me mercy and shows me grace, I can't help but love and respect him more. And when he demonstrates to me that that my relationship with him is so secure that there's no strings attached to his love and affection for me. I can't help but reciprocate love and affection for him. And you see, his desires, they become my desires. And his will becomes my will. And when I am convinced that I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not in front of him, and that he sees me for the sinner that I am and still loves me, I cannot help but be passionate for what he is passionate for. Where does passion for missions come from? It comes from a deep passion. For the Lord who loves us and has given his life for us. You see, this is not guilt trip motivation. But that which springs from a sincere sense of gratitude, a sincere sense of respect and love and admiration for the one who has given us his life. And so the more that we dwell upon God's mercy upon us, the more fuel that we add to missions fire. And so, yes, we don't, we don't deserve to be a part of this mission calling. And yet he still allows us by his grace. The second thing I think the Lord is communicating to us today in his word is that we don't have to be afraid to engage in his mission. Why? Because Jesus, when he met those disciples, had begun by saying, all authority 
in heaven and in earth has been given to me. This is Jesus, his king. This is his coronation. We don't have to be afraid because Jesus, our sender, sends us with all authority in heaven and in earth. And when we go and when we send, we send with his authority. My fear, beloved, is that we don't really believe this. We don't really believe that Jesus has authority and power over everything. We don't believe that he sends us with his, with his authority and power. You see, oftentimes we fall into one of two extremes when we consider this great commission. The first is approaching missions in utter fear and anxiety. We think how ill-equipped we are to engage in missions, to share our faith, to enter into a discipleship relationship, or even to begin praying about going overseas full-time. Even for those who are called to send and support, we're often hesitant to give beyond what is comfortable. Why? Because we're afraid. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we really believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth? And do we believe that we send support and go with his authority? Well, the other extreme in mission is being overly confident in our own power, in our own gifts. We think because we are educated, because we are wealthy, because we are from the West, that somehow the world has to listen to our message. We think somehow that authority has been given to us. And then we go and do missions based on our own strength and our own confidence. Our first mission assignment was actually in the Philippines. And when our family arrived there, I had visited the Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And I was so excited at the possibility of teaching at the seminary. I had trained for so many years, and it was my dream to go and to give from what I've learned to the people who didn't have these opportunities. And so I met some students there, and they were so friendly, as many Filipinos are, and they introduced themselves to me and I to them. And then one of them turned to me and asked me, so what year in school are you here? I was shocked. <laughs> Honestly, I was offended. But of course, you know, as a missionary, you've got to hide your pride. And so I said, well, you know, I'm not, not really a student here. And uh, they replied, well, are you going to apply? <laughs> <laughs> and so we need to ask ourselves, what kind of authority are we basing our confidence upon? Worldly authority, education, money, power. Or do we fundamentally believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth and that we send and that we support and that we go with his authority? You see, it's only by the authority of Christ given to us by his spirit, by his presence, that we can contribute anything of lasting value to his kingdom. You see, the promise that he gives us at the end of the Great Commission the promise of his presence to be with us to the end of the age isn't simply a statement that he's somehow watching over. It is a promise of his Holy Spirit indwelling us. 
equipping us, empowering us to this task. Do you believe this? You see, this teaching should give us both humility and confidence. It should give us hesitant, doubtful disciples. Confidence knowing that Christ is calling us to a task that cannot fail. And equipping us with a power and authority that knows no bounds. At the same time, it gives us humility to recognize it is not our power. It is not our authority. It is not our connections. It is not our money, our wisdom that his kingdom grows. And this is what we need to base our confidence upon, upon Jesus and his authority. So the Lord is telling us that we don't deserve to participate in his kingdom work. And yet he still commissions us. And he tells us that we cannot do this work by our own authority and power, but we can, we can by his. And finally, I think the Lord is telling us that all of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus need to be involved in this kingdom building work. We all need to be involved in making disciples. What are the two main tasks that Jesus identifies or associates with discipleship making? Baptism and teaching. Why baptism? Baptism signifies one's entrance into the community of Jesus' disciples. It requires a radical commitment to the Lord and his people, essentially saying, I die to myself And in being reborn to live for Christ by receiving his Holy Spirit, having my sins washed by the blood of Christ. It is a declaration that I am a follower of Jesus. Why teaching? Teaching is a means that Jesus uses to grow and mature his disciples as those who belong to the kingdom of God. And so not only are we to lead people to this radical commitment to follow Jesus, but to nurture them in their faith by teaching them all that Jesus has taught us. But here's the truth. We can't make disciples unless we we are disciples. So have you made that decision to live wholeheartedly for the Lord? And are we committed to a lifetime of learning and growing in the gospel of grace? You see, part of teaching all that Jesus commands is this teaching to make disciples. Part and parcel of being a disciple is making a disciple. And you might think, there's so many people here who are simply not ready. Isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and teach? And yes, certainly, ordained ministers have a unique role in giving these sacraments of our Lord and in teaching his flock and yet every disciple of Christ I believe is called to participate in making more disciples whether sending, supporting or going to the nations. Four pastors um, go to a restaurant and they're seated, and the uh, waitress is just so rude. She throws down the, 
menus and she says, what do you want? In fact, the whole meal is ruined because the service was so horrible. And uh, after the meal, the most senior pastor calls the waitress over. He pays the bill and he asks to have a word uh, with the one who had served them. And he looked at her in the eyes and he said to her, it seems like you've had a really hard day. I just want to give you this. And he handed her a $100 bill. She was so moved by this generosity that she broke down in tears and poured out her heart to these pastors and shared all of her struggles and the reasons why she was so upset. And right then and there, the pastor shared with her the gospel. And right then and there, she received Jesus as her king, as her Lord. And so the pastor in the parking lot took aside the three other pastors and he turned to them and he said, now, brothers, I want each of you to give me $25. (laughs) You see, every one of us can be involved in making disciples, (laughs) some supporting, some leading, some teaching. But you see here, the teachings that Jesus has given us, what are they? They're gospel teachings, aren't they? And so we don't have to think that when we are making disciples that we have to be perfect Christians and that we have to encourage them to be perfect moral people. What is discipleship in summary? It's showing someone else how to apply the gospel to all the areas of our lives. Teaching others how to apply the gospel and its implications to our marriage to our child rearing, to our labors at work, our labors at church, to our role in this society as citizens of this country. And you see, when the center of discipleship is on the gospel, then the focus is more on Jesus and less upon us. And so we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not, these super Christians. Our message is simply that we are messed up and that we are broken people. And that we need daily this gospel to feed our own souls. And that we need daily to come before our Lord in humble repentance. Confessing our fears, confessing our anxieties, our pride and our insecurities. And someone once said, what is evangelism? It's that we are merely beggars. Showing other beggars where to find food. Now, we can certainly be involved in making disciples here in our own hometown. Certainly many nations have come. But the Lord is still calling his church to go to other nations, to other places, in fulfilling his redemptive plan. And that is that his glory may fill the world. Jesus, risen from the grave, exalted to the highest place, Our reigning king, our living king, calls us to carry forth his message of the kingdom to the nations. This task is not an option. It's not something we do if we have extra time. It's included in the very definition of what it means to be a disciple, namely to make disciples. And it helps define our purpose and our calling while we remain here 
in this life. Beloved, do we respect our king? Our king has delivered us from the bondage of sin and death. Our king has set us free. And so let us respect our king. And may his vision for the nations and the coming of his kingdom be our vision as well. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice at the fact that you love us. We rejoice at the fact that we can come before you naked and humble, full of sin, shame, and guilt, and be embraced by your loving arms. And we delight at the fact that you have called us to this task that cannot fail and that you equip us with your spirit that has a power that knows no bounds. May we go in, your, in the confidence, placing our confidence in you, Lord. And may we go, Father, with gratitude and thanksgiving of all that you have done for us. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen.